Be the best rugby coach you can be. Welcome to Rugby Coach Weekly Podcast with head coach Dan Cottrell, where you learn hints and tips from the rugby coaching community. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Podcast with me, Dan Cottrell. I'm head coach with Rugby Coach Weekly and I'm delighted to have three very special guests to the show. I've got Ian Hollingworth, Nathan Gosling and Wilco. Um, Nick Wilkinson. So Nick is uh, coaches at Sidcup um, and has his own independent coaching business. Nathan is um, head coach at Crediton and works with the count- local county squad under 20s. And Ian is um, coaching coordinator uh, at his uh, local team in Essex and also a DPP coach. But they coach in lots of different guises as well. So welcome to the show, guys. Pleasure to be here. Um, and we're going to jump straight in um, with some questions. Uh, no faffing around here. And we're going to go straight to uh, Wilco. And um, we're, we're jumping into stage D. And uh, that means a bit more contact. How do we make the breakdown work more effective at stage D? It's a really good question. And um, I, I recently discovered what I think might be the RFU's best kept secret. Um, there is a version ready for rugby called Pressure Zone, which I only found out about a week ago. Um, just, just very quick. Has anyone else heard of it? Yeah. 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 Cool. Um, put simply, it requires players to, to present the ball rather than throwing the ball above your head. And that in itself starts to create that environment, which is, which is essentially emulating a breakdown. Um, so at Sid Cup, literally last night, we had players um, falling to the floor, presenting the ball, um, long and strong, how you like it, Dan, or, or not, as the case may be. Um, <laughs> I'm going to re- pick you up on that in a moment, Wilco, but don't worry, it's coming. Of course. Um, but long and strong, the purpose for that was was that body would then create that two-metre distance that separates the attacking defence because the back feet of the player would be the offside line. Okay, can um, I just, uh, just so uh, for people who don't necessarily know what long and strong is, it's uh, sometimes known as the long placement or the pencil placement where the feet are towards the try line you're trying to score and the ball's presented back to your own try line. Okay, sorry, carry on, Wilco. They are perpendicular to the try line. Perpendicular. <laughs> um, so the ball, the ball is presented and from there the ball can be held up and then passed away by a, um, a teammate. Um, we then laid in an opportunity for a, um, a turnover. Uh, and that meant that the, ta- the touch tackler would tackle that player, go to floor, jump up, a down and up. If they managed to touch the ball before it was passed away, then that would be a turnover. That would then emulate the jackling of the ball. So for me, within a game of touch rugby, we're now achieving very much breakdown-esque type activities, rewarding players to get into their feet quickly, rewarding players to support the ball carrier quickly and to move the ball away quickly. Okay, I, re- I really like that, and uh, it sounds like a, a good good way of creating more contact because, of course, you're landing on the ground. Uh, Ian, what would you do with that? Would you how would you develop that? So, th- so my observations of this, uh, the, the the guidance that we're working to, is that actually it it, it pushes people into more of the skill zone type um, arena. So, you know, what, what are we allowed to do? We're allowed to do 15 minutes uh, in groups of six. Two v two in a in a ruck situation. So that that's a classic opportunity for coaches to take that out of a game situation and put it into a skill zone. So you can really do some quite useful um, coaching about whether it be body position or roles, or as or as Wilco's just mentioned about at the tackle, how do you push your body position correctly? How do you roll? How, how do you how do you clear from different angles? All of those sort of things. So I think that's um, a great opportunity to actually just almost be for- forcing coaches, if you like, to to do through through that. Right, guys. I'm just going to come. I'm going to come to you in a moment. But Ian, I just want to go back to the skill zone. Um, so coaches uh, may be aware of what a skill zone is, but in your training session, how would that be organised? Well, ideally, you'd probably have a. a, a, a coach that would be operating in a separate area away from the from the pitch um who, who you may be co-coaching with saying that actually we're going to be focusing on a on a ruck situation or, or a, t- uh, a tackle technique situation 
um, and you may you may pull a player or a couple of players out of a game uh, that you may say I think go over there and have a bit of a practice, come back into the game. That's that's typically how how it's used. Or you could have a a session where you just rotate players naturally into a skill zone or an, or number of skill zones to 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 practice a certain element of their skill. Um, I often wonder whether players want to be taken out of a game and into a skill zone. Um, Goz, I'm going to throw that one at you because I like to throw you a sidewinder. How do you uh, present that as a something which is worth doing? Because you know it's worth doing, but they probably want to carry on with the game. Yeah, I mean, for me, um, well, we've been running it slightly differently in terms of we've been running like a carousel of activities. So we would run um, like a game, we'd have a game zone and then we'd have um, a bit of fitness and we'd have a skill zone and the skill zone would be like a small-sided drill, as it were, a small sort of game pressure drill that would actually feed in, feed into the game that we want to be using. Um, in terms of the skill zones, I like them to be part of the game. And I've been toying with this idea and I'm love to throw this out there to the rugby you know the rugby coaching community really is that i'd like you know to have actually the skill zone within the game in that you'd have your 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 your, uh, your square which the players would be individually working in actually within the game itself so that what what you could have then is um you know your skill zone going on at a certain point in the game and then the players would kind of feed in and feed out and then what would happen then is you actually have natural overload and underload of players and also you can actually then pull players within the game situation instead of having to go off the field they're on the field already so that actually you can sort of kind of fit them into the game um i just think it's you know, it's something I've been toying with for a while, but just the whole the whole logistics of it, really. Um, I'm still trying to iron those out in my own head. So that's that's where I'm kind of experimenting and going with it with, with the whole idea of this next. Uh, so I'm I'm interested in exploring this idea of pulling the players out uh, because, as I say, as coaches, we can see value in that because you can get more repetitions in, you can look at the detail. It's, it's how the players respond to that. Will they then say, oh, I've just got to get through this next two minutes of the skill zone, then I can go back into what's more fun. Wilco, I mean, uh, they will always do what you say, of course, because uh, you have this way with them. What with, with a more reluctant player, what sort of language are you using to give them that? Yeah, I think this is going to be worth it. So, so to me, the the players being removed for the game, all they want to do is get back into the game. That they, they may not necessarily see the value in being removed from the game and what that skill zone may or may not be able to do for them. So I make it really simple for them. It's sort of it's not a case of the quicker you get through this, the quicker you get back on the pitch. There's a standard that needs to be met here. If you can show me the standard, then 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 you, you go back on the pitch, you can carry on playing. If you can't show me the standard, then then clearly there's a need for you to spend a bit of time on whatever that activity might be, because that's what it's there for. That's to help you improve and, and be better at that particular activity. Goz, what are you going to say? Um, I, I, I'm I'm agreeing with that, but I'm also saying that the language I would use around that is the language of challenge. Um, and I, I, you know, if I was pulling the player out, or I wouldn't, you know, say, "Well, you come over here. I'm hooking you out of the game." My thing would be, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm quite curious about why you did that. And then it'd be, he'd be to let me know. I said, okay, then, well, um, can we go and try this? Or would you like to try that? And give him a few options in terms of what he, you know, could, could help him to develop his game. He might go in there and actually find out, oh, I can do this. Um, but then my, my, my sort of parting shot would be when he goes back into the game is that if he, you know, if he manages to do something that has come from the skill zone, then, you know, then it's going to add value to the game. It's going to help them to win. So it could be, I'll give you 50 points if you do that, you know, on, on the clicker score. So um, so for, for me, it's it's kind of making it, it's one, it's making it relevant to the player, but it's also actually how do I, how do I motivate the player to want to be, you know, to do that little bit extra so that actually when they step out into the game, you know, there's even more value in what they're doing. 
Yeah, I mean, I can see both uh, both forms of language important. Uh, you set standards and you want to reach the standards. They're probably agreed beforehand, but also then create some challenge. So it creates something where they've got to um, stretch themselves. Ian, you were going to say. Yeah, so I'm going to have the first. It depends of the of the call. Right. Well, that's and great. Uh, you've been marked down immediately. Ah, oh, sorry. Uh, so, so certainly for an age group that haven't done much contact or tackling or rucking, then safety is is paramount, isn't it? So, so I think that it, it's ideally you'd like to give every child the choice to make their own decision as to whether they want to to go into a school zone or whether they want to play. So, you know, to make it as, as much child-centred as possible. Um, but there are there are safety considerations. So that would be my only thing in terms of, like, wh why you'd really need to make sure everyone processed through in certain occasions. Nathan? I 100% agree with that. Um, we have a player who's come back this year, senior player, who I think four or five years ago actually broke his neck. Um I won't go into the story, um, but he he came back. He's loving training. He's really loving that the you know loving that the 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 new touch and and the way the game is speeded up and all the handling and the little challenges you put in. But we have had individual conversations or where about he's really really worried about the actual tackling aspect of it. So it's you know so for for me it's kind of like going back to the same sort of protocols that you would go through with with, with I don't know any player who has issues with tackling to go about that player again. And it's it's really interesting how well challenging is the word I was looking for is is how can how can we as a coaching group actually improve his confidence around it right. and, and sort of help him to get back to where he was because I'm you know half of him I think as a player is just expecting to just to dump dive straight in and be able to do what he's done you know before the uh, before the accident. And half of him is, is, you know, he's worried like hell because actually, you know, if I have another head knock, then it, it could be serious. So it's, uh, yeah, safety is, is huge. Welcome. I'm going to go back to you and uh, your original game uh, because we've been talking a lot about the skill and now we've got um, a skill within the game. Um, we've obviously at times talked about uh, the relative merits of long and strong versus jackknife and that sort of thing. But let's uh, let's leave the fact that the jackknife is obviously the superior uh, ball placement and go back to the skill that you're trying to reveal <laughs> now if those players are performing the skill incorrectly or not as well as you want what sort of language or what sort of things are you doing to try and get them to achieve a better outcome the outcome that you you'd want them to achieve so so that intervention might be at a personal level for that individual where one might take them to one side and then just have a chat with them. Uh, just, just some questioning, you know, how do you feel about the body position? Um, what do you think you can improve? Are you comfortable with where you are? That kind of thing. And even bringing off a, a teammate to maybe do a bit of co-coaching and advise them. So one one would make the position or, or perform the skill you're looking for and the other one would then say, okay, okay look, this is how I think you can improve it and vice versa. And it might be that, that there is a, a group intervention in that, OK, let's stop the game a moment because because no one's doing it in the way in which we should be, in which case let's just stop and get everyone to understand what they're doing. I, I don't I don't want to down my score by coming up with it another. It depends. But to me, the context is, is whether it's the individual that's um, struggling to perform what you're looking for, whether it's a, a collective um, problem as to whether you intervene and then use that language in terms of questioning or whether you, you address the whole group just to make sure everyone's on the same page. And what's interesting there is that you are considering using more than one approach to deal with the problem. Um, often uh, people come off a level one course and they know they've got to ask lots and lots of questions. And uh, they just end up asking a whole raft of questions and never really dealing with the problem which is in front of them, which could be just an individual or could be collective. So you mentioned co-coaching there. Um, what What's the dangers of co-coaching? Because we can see the, how powerful that is when a peer is helping you to develop a skill and you're more likely to listen to a peer. There are dangers with it. What are they and how would you deal with it? So Will Cubs, come to you first and then I want to jump that round to Ian then uh, Goose. So, so co-coaching to me is we've got two coaches sharing a session where they might be doing 
they might be performing the same sort of thing equally. Other people's interpretation of co-coaching is, oh, you know, I'll, I'll coach the lopsided game over here. You coach the skill zone over there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I quite also, I, I also quite like the idea of macro and micro coach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, context, the context of that would be that as a macro coach, I'm running the big picture. I'm making sure that the game goes on and that the activity is, is, is being performed as, as we we're hoping it will be performed. And the micro coach is feeding into the macro coach the observations they can make because they've got the opportunity and time to make those tiny observations and pick things up. A small example might be uh, there was an activity one evening um, and as, as a micro coach with another micro coach, we noticed that the, the activity the macro coach was delivering was just all the players were constantly passing the ball from right to left from the centre of the pitch. Everybody on the right of the pitch wasn't getting a looking because nobody had the confidence or the desire to pass to their right using it off their left hand. Now, the macro coach was too busy worrying about the game to actually make that observation. And we were able to intervene at a certain point and just go, look, this is what's happening. How do you want to change the game up? As micro coaches, we didn't address the group. Everything came through the macro coach. And I think that's slightly different from co-coaching. And going into the question you had about pitfalls, if you've got two people co-coaching, there's a chance that those two people are vying for, for space, supremacy, one saying one thing, another one saying another. Players are getting confused. I really like the idea of macro and micro coaching when the micro coach is feeding to the macro coach. Okay, I, I like what you're saying. I think that's a really nice idea, the micro and macro coach, something to uh, certainly not one which is out there a lot. Ian? So, yeah, so there are dangers, but there are huge benefits as well. So so, so I give an example where, where maybe I didn't get this quite right a while ago, where we're working with a, a co-coach, um, came up with a, a session on something or other and uh, asked asked him to to take uh, a little uh, breakout group and I looked across and he was actually coaching something completely off piste that was nothing to do with the session at all it's just what he fancied to do it uh, at the time um, so I think there's a lot to be said about clarity about intent um, so then so then that then you should give each other the flexibility then because there's no silver bullet for coaching to actually say well now how would we interpret how you do coach that because coaches will have different views and opinions about how things should be done and and feeding off those different opinions is a positive in my book um the only the only dangerous big danger is when they go completely off piste and start coaching completely different things so it's about the relationship and clarity in my mind and that's very difficult to find that uh, sweet spot between the coaches. And you've got to re- recognize there's going to be bumps and friction there, but it's how you then deal with it and say, yeah, okay, I, we said this, I said that, but next time we'll, we'll do that. Goose, what do you think? Um, coming back to what you said very first about the questions, I think I'm still struggling with this now, but it's about asking the right question, isn't it? You know, in terms of feedback with the players and how you work with them, it's definitely about about asking the right, being able to ask the right question at the right time. Um, I lo- love the idea of macro and micro coaching. I'm going to steal that one. I'm, I'm going to take that away and have a look at that. So, yeah, cheers for that, um, Wilco. Um, in terms of kind of clarity, I think what's crucial to, to to working as a team in terms of your coaching is is you kind of have a I have a pre pre-session um brief for the coaches so you know so i'll so for instance now on thursday i've got um training session i have a forwards coach on thursday so um you know and so what happens is i'll say right i'll say lowey look mate um we i'd like to cover um a little bit lifting or a little bit of body position work i don't really mind how you get there because you know how you coach it and how you deliver it is is, is going to be personal to you but the outcome is that we'd like this to be happening in, in the session. So he might go away and do that. Um, if we're coaching together, then what we'd have, we'd have, um, we'd kind of be looking at different things. So we, we, we both wouldn't look at the same thing. But what we, would, what we would be looking at, hopefully, would have things that would kind of dovetail into each other. So, that, so what we could then have, have is challenge between us as well. So I would say, so if, if Lowy's looking after the attack and I'm looking after defence on either side, then what would happen is um, we could have a conversation with each other. The players could have the conversation you know, around what's happening and we're able to challenge, challenge accordingly. 
Um, I, the last thing is, I think, you know, co-coaching is, is as much about how you work as a team of coaches as as much as, you know, how you deliver. Because I think it's important that you know, kind of know what, what the delivery strengths of different coaches are. Some coaches are brilliant one-to-one. Some coaches are awesome in a group. Some coaches just want to shout, you know. Some coaches, you know, don't want to say anything at all. It's about, you know, how do you how do you sort of manipulate their strengths so that actually you get the best out of them, you know, so that you're getting the best out of the players. And, and the last one's great right, in terms of feedback was um, I think is it and feedback and movement. I think I heard John Fletcher say once, you know, he was talking about tackling and and. Um, I don't know. Here he said, a "Students, uh, a player's gone into a tackle. He's got it all wrong, um, and you know, and sometimes you don't need to say to the player, you know, oh, you've got it all wrong. The player knows, you know, and it's kind of it's you kind of ask the player, well, you know, well, what, what I think he said is, what feedback has that tackle given you there, you know, and the player knows in their own head. I think you know, sometimes we don't need to tell the player you've made a mistake, especially in rugby, being a collision game, you know." It's pretty obvious when you made a mistake. It's it's more about how do you signpost them in the right direction to, to get the solution to the mistake. Yeah, I remember talking to Dale McIntosh, the chief, about this, and um, he used to say, get the player to give them the story, but if the player gave him the wrong story, they would re- retell them the story as it really was and tell them straight. But you're right. Sometimes the player knows, and that's that's important. Ian? So, yeah, I'll just... Uh, to, to... Goose just made a great point about getting the best out of the players. So, so coaching is a people game, it's a people business, it's a relationship business. So, so you might find that certain players um, get uh, and coach relationships are better. So, it's about putting the right people to the right players. So, I think so. I think we should put, be mindful of that. Great. Well, I think there's some um, really interesting things about more about coaching and really uh, whether we're working towards. Uh, better breakdown work at stage D. And I think that's important because uh, it's very easy for us to get bogged down in technique and the detail of uh, tactics when, in fact, as uh, Ian, you've just said, it is a lot about being in a people business and how you deliver what you're supposed to deliver. So in a sort of uh, roundabout way, uh, it leads me to the next question. So see how I uh, neatly finesse this one in. Um, (laughs) When we are coaching, we've got to be more aware ourselves of the laws of the game. And especially with uh, the breakdown laws being applied more rigorously, uh, they haven't changed, they've been part of it. Um, we need to be more aware. So in training, uh, we're thinking about applying the laws of the game. Where can we improve? Ian, let's go to you first. So I think the, the biggest improvement is for coaches to remember that that they're not coaching what they're seeing the premiership and international players do yeah so so there is a it's it, if you like there is a different set of laws or maybe the same set of laws but applied in a slightly different way in an international or a competitive premiership game than there would be for an under 10s under 11s under 12 game so for example, you, you would the, the biggest thing for me is, is the, the conversation about croc rolls. And it comes back to my earlier point about um, safety. So why, why would, why would a, a, a grassroots children's coach want to tre- teach something to a child that could potentially be very, very dangerous because they've seen it on, on TV? So, so where we can improve in terms of applying the rules is actually number one safety should be always the priority um and and then and then and then things like um so what i've done is i've sort of played a game where where i've blown a whistle and said why do you think i've blown the whistle there so get to get players to try and work out what the 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 penalty or what or the stoppage was for to get them thinking so checks their understanding of, of the rules as well rather than you you're telling them that's a penalty for going off your feet or something like that. Just see if they understand it themselves. So just a couple of thoughts on that one. Goose. I know you love yeah. refereeing. <laughs> um, no, I, you know, Ian's made some brilliant points there, to be fair. Um, because ultimately, in training, you, you have to referee accurately, don't you? You know, or to the best of your ability, 
because hopefully at the, on the weekend the referee is going to be um, doing the same. So you've, as long as you're coaching the right kind of um, well, as long as you're coaching the right kind of information and and get and I don't know what the word I'm looking for here is, but I can't. I'll come to me in a minute. But I think it's a, ultimately it's about perceptions. When I talk to my players about our players and we talk to each other about the refereeing, we talk about pictures. We talk about snapshots because um, when we're playing at grassroots levels, you know, you've got a grassroots referee with, with, with all the best will in the world. You know, you have to appreciate that they're part-time as well. They're, they're trying to do the best they can. So we talk, when we talk about, you know, refereeing the laws of the game, we talk about a, lot, a lot about adaption and how quickly can we adapt to um, a, for a style of refereeing and, and interpretation. So in training, what I might, you know, and we've done it already um, with our boys this year, there are certain things that, you know, that I'll, I will referee badly and I'll do it deliberately badly because what I want the players to do is pick up on the interpretation because ultimately if I want to win league games at grassroots level, you know, the, one of the deciding factors of that is actually my players have to adapt first to the referee um, because if you get on the wrong side of the referee, you know, just like in any sort of form of life, then... That's that's that. Uh, Ian, I'm going to come to you in a moment, but I want to uh, bring Wilco in now. Um, and I'm going to ask you a supplementary question, Wilco, so beware. So uh, off you go. What's your thoughts on this area? Uh, I'd echo the two things that, that Ian and Goose have both mentioned. I often referee badly. Sometimes that's a deliberate action. Sometimes I'm just that bad. <laughs> <laughs> Either way, the sentiment is the same. It's it's to it's to allow players to react and see how players react to the fact that they may feel something's going on that's unfair. How do they react to that? What do they do about it? Do they complain about it? Do they knuckle under and get on with it? Do they take advantage of it? Do they do they find some way of winning over the referee? Mm. So 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 I, I think doing those things are great. Not to the point that it's annoying, but to the point where you are ensuring that those players are capable of adapting and controlling their own um, activities and behaviours under that kind of pressure. Um, one thing we do at Sidcup, which I, I would encourage every single club to do at any level, but for the seniors, we've got a great relationship with a couple of local referees. Re referees need to practice as much as players need to practice. And when you ask them to come along to training on, a, on an evening, they're actually quite receptive to the idea because whenever, when else do they get the opportunity to referee a game without any real consequence? On match day, there's consequence. They're, they're under performance. They're, they're required to be completely accurate at all times. But on a training night, they get the opportunity to, to, to test their ability and, and become better referees in a, in a, a less pressured environment. Now, whether, whether it's a, a, a top-flight referee coming to coach seniors or somebody who's an aspiring referee who, who wants to just coach junior games. It's practice for them. Invite them in. Welcome them in. Have them help you out and have them referee games and, and remind players of what they see. It, it happens at, at premiership level. It happens with England. England regularly have, is it Wayne Barnes go in to talk to them about how he's going to referee games and so on, so that they can then act accordingly. So I'm going to, the, the supplementary question I want to ask then, and in a sense you've um, started part of the process bringing in referees, um, how good is your knowledge of the laws of the game? Not the sort of minute detail of uh, certain actions, but the regular stuff which happens on a, on a every, say, three or four minutes, every minute, every 30 seconds of the game. How strong do you think you are on that, Wilco? And where do you get your information from? To make sure you're better uh, so primarily do the courses I've, I've done the, the the referee courses level one level two mm. um, you're, you're required to fill in and complete the rugby um, laws of the game as a test you can do that as often as you like you get a certificate it's valid for so long but why not do it every year or less mm. and the thing that really echoes with me Dan, is the first time I ever refereed, and I think it was something like an under-sevens game, I, I refereed the game, and at the end of it, the other coach came over to see me, and he said, I don't think you know the laws of the game. I said, why is that? He said, because I read them last night. 
He said, I had the idea I'd be refereeing today. It might be an idea to familiarise myself with the laws of the game. Did you do that? And I said, to be fair, no, I didn't. So there's nothing wrong with having a printed copy of the laws of the game in your kit bag. And if you know you're going to a festival as a junior coach, or if you know you've got a match on the weekend as a senior, um, pull those, pull that book out, pull that, that those sheets out, and just just refresh yourself. Make some notes against it. Make some crib notes, and just go through the crib notes down the side of that piece of paper that just reminds yourself of those laws. I mean, the reason why I asked the question, obviously not, well, obviously to catch you out because I want to uh, make you sweat and put you under pressure. But I, I think that because um, we're not refereeing week in week out. Uh, we lose um, sense of the minute detail. We can probably pick up a few things from watching on the television. And that constant refreshment of those laws is as important as refreshing ourselves on coaching the game, uh, is, what, is what I feel. And so I think we, we do have a responsibility because then it helps referees on a Saturday. Maybe, maybe that's an idea to kick around. But Ian, you were going to say... Yeah, no, I, I was going to say thing about um, the Wilco's point about uh, dodgy referees. I mean, I, I, I actually have a game called Dodgy Referee to, to actually just check the reaction, the reaction of, of kids or, or maybe even seniors when you actually, you know, make a really bad decision. So because it's going to happen. And how many times have you seen everyone just start moaning about something and then completely fo- the focus of the game just completely drops? So, so the game is dodgy ref. I don't necessarily I'm playing it, but but it's it just like, nods my mind when Wilco said that. I've also had referees come in to to help run a session. So it's very so a deep dive into a complex area of the game, such as a breakdown maybe. Um, and and the other thing I've done occasionally is I've had a chat to the parents before a game starts and said, look, there may be things here that that you see that we should stop the game. But actually, if I choose to let the game flow because they're kids and they might have knocked the ball on and I don't want to stop, 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 then I'm just gonna I'm just gonna let the game go. And as long as the kids are having fun and as long as I'm applying it equally and fairly across the two teams, then then that's that's not gonna be an issue. So as long as the parents know that and it also covers for all the things that they might think I'm doing wrong too, mm. which I may obviously be doing. Um, but it's just a useful ta- uh, tactic to just have a quick chat to say, I'm not going to get anything right. And maybe I'm going to deliberately ignore certain stuff. Yeah, I quite, I mean, I really like that. Uh, the the unfair referee type game. Do- do- dodgy, dodgy, or- dodgy referee. Yeah. I, I couldn't uh, think One of the things which I think <laughs> has come out of the, the premiership um, is the fact that uh, referees are much, much tighter on. Uh, the, the breakdown area and I think you could um, instead of being a dodgy referee is your interpretation is how long you're going to let things go so one team may have an extra role when they go to ground uh, before they use the preferred jackknife ball placement uh, they may uh, have players might have their hands on the ball for longer um, and uh, you might let that go for one team but the other team you're going to be tougher on but I mean that's quite a sophisticated level of refereeing uh, Ian so I, I think it was was it Craig Maxwell Keys, one of the referees. So I think he was on a he was on a podcast or a webinar um, recently, and he he was using the, um, or giving people tips to say, imagine if you're refereeing, imagine you're playing the game and you're anticipating what the next thing you're expecting to see, and whether that will be you know done correctly according to the rules. So you're so as a referee, you're almost trying to be one step ahead of the next part of the game if you like so you, you're almost painting a picture before an action takes place so it's just a bit, a bit of awareness to say you know what what are the things i'm expecting so therefore you can keep keep an eye out for the things that may not be done correctly uh, so to, to take that idea one step ahead so we're now coaching um at um tra- at training on, on a on a thursday night how can we use that to help our players improve around the breakdown so you've just said that um, referees should anticipate what what sort of actions should help us so we can see more clearly have a much better observation does anyone want to jump in and uh, run with that idea or is that idea maybe not not so appropriate well i, I you know i, I um you know 
looked at some of Veal Pro's work, um, coaching in terms of um, the the now, the next, and the future ball. In terms of the now being the immediate area around the ball, the next being the support, the immediate support of the ball, and the future being sort of the outside support. And one of the things I'm trying to get into the minds of the players is that you know is is it's kind of this checklist of things to look for when they're playing the game. So, for instance, if we've won the ball, then actually the next thing to look for is you know is is am I am I going to be in a in a place to support the ball? And you know, and then and then we get them looking at um, the players in front of them. So then we're assessing weaknesses, and through that you sort you, you try and point out things like body language, body positions, where they're looking, where they've come from, where they're going to, and we try and give them cues and information that kind of help them to to formulate a kind of decision about where they're going to go next, or where the ball's going to go next, and and where they where they might might next to go. To be really effective, so you know, it, it, I think awareness is is like um, it's, it's like being a bit of a a detective. You know, you kind of you got to you got to piece together where we are. You got to kind of then you got to join it together with you know the field. Then it's kind of like putting all these bits of the jigsaw puzzle together in a quick enough amount of time that then enables you to make a decision based you know what, what you're going to do next. Um, and just thinking that uh, in terms of some of the players you have to coach, Wilco. So moving away from Sidcup, you uh, coach across uh, different schools with players who've got not much awareness of the game. How how do you help them become more aware of the the future in terms of uh, if I do this or if I move here, actually I'm anticipating that, or is that just something that just happens naturally for them? in terms of being in the right place at the right time that's, yeah. that's a lot to do with experience yeah. a little bit to do with luck uh, it's a little bit to do with being given the license to be creative if you encourage creativity and don't punish it then players will try something different and unusual methods bring unusual outcomes so yeah. allowing them to be that free in play may result in some really wonderful outcomes that may never have occurred if you're being very prescriptive in what you do um, those players will then get the opportunity to be in the right place at the right time. Um, again, sometimes more by luck than judgment, but but through that process, they then suddenly realise, well, actually, this is a really great place to be at this time, and 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 it becomes habit. Um, yeah. Point I was also hoping to to make and, and complement other responses with regard to to helping those players, and that is that if anyone's refereeing the game, whether it's a being a referee for a training game a coach being a referee for a match um, and whatever level you're doing that at in terms of of, of performance level or uh, age group i think it's really important for any referee to give a narrative to the game they should be in a position to be quite talkative especially at the breakdown you know call a tackle when it's a tackle tell a player to roll away shout hands out because you don't want the hands in the ruck anymore be really clear about those points at every single opportunity you have, then there's no opportunity for players to not understand whether they could or could not do something at any moment in time. Um, if you're going to call advantage, make it, clear, uh, make it really clear and loud. Hand signals are important too, not only to the, to, to the people on the pitch, but anyone watching, wondering why on earth all of a sudden we're going back to a penalty that had no idea happened because they're too far away from hearing any kind of dialogue. So to me, the way in which to help players make sure they're in the right place at the right time is for that referee to be very, very clear in terms of uh, the instructions and the activity that, that with, within the activity that's going on at that time. I'm going to come to you in, but I wonder when we are coaching and coaching and refereeing and training that maybe we should help the players with our own narrative in coaching. But I think that's for that's a question for a different time. Ian, you were going to say. Yeah, I was just curious about the opportunity perhaps to have players coach rather than us uh, sorry players ref rather than us so gets kids to take it in turns to actually play a bit of referee um you know whether that would help build their knowledge awareness of the of the game as well not not really considered that before until now mm. uh well i've i mean i'm not saying i've done it a lot but i have done it sometimes and uh, the benefits are enormous uh, because then they realize 
the detail and the complications and also they got a better awareness of the problems some of the referees mm. are going through i can remember one of you said paint, paint pictures and then they've got a much better idea of painting pictures now something that wilco was talking about was allow creativity not hold them back uh so that neatly brings me around to talk about the game plan and um the usefulness of a game plan uh, and when we start working on it. So, uh, Goose, I'm going to come to you. Uh, you may not have a game plan, uh, but should you have a game plan uh, for crediting, when do you start working on your game plan? And is is it ever too early to start working on the game plan? Uh, we do have a game plan. Um, the game plan is constantly evolving um, because the player's skill levels are constantly evolving. I've got to say, I've loved, I've loved the the... The, the pods of six work in COVID because it's allowed me to actually get to know the players. It's allowed us to upskill players massively through playing silly, you know, just silly pressure, little pressure games. The handling has gone through the roof. The footwork has gone through the roof and, you know, confidence is, is what is brilliant because some of these, especially these front five forwards who, if you imagine will come into the, um, the beginning of a season, you get 30 players in training, if you're lucky. Um, and, you know, you, you go into usual games and what happens is your predominant ball carriers would do all the work. Um, you know, your major people, your seven or eight players who do everything, will do everything all the time. And your peripheral players will get not so many touches in the session. So for me, it's been, you know, it's been a real, real great opportunity to upskill the front five which has meant in turn that actually we can now um, expand what we wanted to do in terms of working with the players. So, I mean, the questions about game plan, um, what I've been doing is with the players, we've been playing small-sided games um, with, with them looking at running, you know, in, encouraging running, running sort of lines, identifying space, trails, you know, runners out the back. You know, it's about... I've been designing little mini games that, that enable them to make, to, to be able to perform according to a scenario on the field. So for instance, I would say, right, so this mini game here is based on a scenario where if, if the ball's coming from a ruck on the left-hand side, okay, there, there, there's your defense. You know, this is the framework we're going to play and away you go. So it's, it's allowed me to sort of, sort of put in snapshots of the game that then we can go when, when we go a bit further down the track is we can put those pieces, you know, as and when we need them. Wilco, where's your where do you stand on game plans? Uh, I think game plan plans are wonderful as long as they are co-produced. Mm. Um, I, I, I would I would urge for junior coaching definitely. I would urge as many junior coaches as possible to have an absolute idea exactly in their head what the game plan is but let the players come up with it. So, for example, at one school I coached at last season, I'd like to start a phone call today to say I'd be coaching again this season, which is great. The individuals in, in question, I would say, okay, look, this is where you are on the pitch. This is the shape you're in right now. You guys are going to work out some moves. I'm going to come back in 10 minutes. You're going to give those moves some names and you're going to then show me those moves. And I left them alone for 10 minutes to sort themselves out. And lo and behold, I came back 10 minutes later. They had three or four different moves, which were, let's be honest, the kind of thing you'd expect every team to have. There were some staples and had their own names for them. Not only did they remember the moves, they the names made sense to them. Rather than me stand there and yeah. say, this one's called DXP. This is what you do. They came up with their own name. They came up with their own move. And lo and behold, they, 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 they use them and they remember them. And I would encourage every coach to do something similar. So, I mean, I love that idea and I can see definitely the benefits. So just as a sort of um, a caveat to that, what happens if they come up with a move which even when they show it to you, you know is wrong, it's not going to work? What, how do you then deal with that? You put it to the test. Mm. Yeah. You, okay. you, you see whether they, 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 their experience of going yeah. through that motion is successful or not. If it's successful, where's the problem? If it's not successful, that's when good questioning comes in and says, okay, what can we do to improve that? Are we happy with that? Is it one that we keep? Is it one that we maybe put to one side and work on next week? Yeah. 
Good, I like that. Right, I'm going to come to you in a moment, Ian. Uh, Goose. I, I was just going to back up what Wilco was saying there, really. That, 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 that for me, is a massive learning moment. You know, it, it, you know they, they've come up with something. They want to go out there and do it. It doesn't work. Actually, there's a huge moment there in terms of they're finding out for themselves. And all you can do then is actually guide them into finding an appropriate solution that's going to work for them. So, yeah, so that, in terms of that, it's... You got someone else helping you out answer the oh, question. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's my that's my son who's just come through the door, my eldest boy who's a, No, but yeah, so I mean getting back to it's just for me, things like that are just massive learning moments and actually they are really, really good good opportunities in the game, you know, and, and the more of those, you know, we can create the better really. And I think Wilco has come up with that that's one of one of the best ways to create them. Good. Ian. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious about what game plan actually means to a lot of people. Good. I think we've had we've had slightly different versions already in this conversation. So, yeah. Goose has mentioned about scenario plans, so little mini moments within the game. So, what ifs we're in this situation? There are so many different variants of what could happen in a field. There are certain mm. things that happen, obviously, more often than than others. But you could have scenario plans. Um, I think that uh, I, I, I remember when I first saw the return for rugby um, approach, the adapted touch games format that's been released, I just thought it was going to be a game changer because what people were, had seen previously, certainly for maybe under 13, under 14 level, when, when you get the game plan is just give it to the biggest kid in the pitch and then let him run through everybody. Well, that could be called a game plan, but but for, for the game now, the game plan has to change because actually double touch and that person's got to work out how to get rid of the ball and the team have got to work around that their, their strike play, if you like, you want to call it that, is not going to be as effective as it ever has been. So, so I think that, you know, I think when you think about the word game plan in a, in a professional context, we've got analysts that are working out the strengths and weakness of another team the, the, that's that's a game plan for a professional but you've got scenario plans game plans what to do in certain parts of the field plans um and also you know how to adapt your game plan should should conditions either rules or the conditions uh, change mm. uh, so i'm that which is going to be the supplementary question i was going to ask is uh, what does a good game plan look like and i suppose the first thing to do is probably try and work out what what a game plan is in the first place. Um, so is it appropriate really to give under 13s and under 14s a game plan? Um, do you just want to give them uh, the principles of play and say, try and work it out from there? What, what do you think? Yeah, so, I, so I, I mentioned like using principles is a really useful tool. I'm really, really keen on the principles. So the game plan could be right today. Our game plan is to go forward at all times. And you just you just play a game on that principle, see how you get on. You can point, you can score it in different ways from both from attack and defence. Go forward. You can then add layers onto the next levels of principles, uh, continuity support, whatever it might be. Um, and then if your ultimately your game plan is to score, right? I'll, that that's what everyone wants to do. So using the principles will allow you to actually develop a game plan um, for for your team indirectly. Really. Um, and, co and coach them quite effectively. Welcome. Yeah, so you, you, you asked a very pointed question about should under-13s have a game plan? Um, I think if they have an awareness of some of the things that they are able to do as a group at certain points on the pitch, that will help them. Yeah, you're, within inside, their you're inside their 22. Um, what do we do? You know, you have a you have a penalty. You're inside their 22. We're going to kick the touch, whatever. Yeah, I think I think having those kind of ideas are great. I think that where at under 13 players are still learning the game from different positions, and they should try every single position. It's one of those games where they're just going to have to be in a position of look. You've got this much that you can and can't do. I'll ask some simple questions. You on this point of the pitch. What are you likely to do? Um, I've just started coaching rugby league this, uh, sorry, this season. 
and it is a very very move oriented um sport and one of the key things we're doing with those guys is is you know they have a a kit bag of different moves that they want to use and it's literally a case of you're now at this point of the pitch you're now at tackle three what move are you going to use you know just to stop the game what move are you going to use this is you're going to use are you ready yeah get ready okay now do it and and to me that is a, a better way for allowing players to understand when and not to, when to and not to have moves in terms of a game plan um i do like to quote mike tyson everyone has a plan until the moment we get punched in the face so it's so, great to- uh, yeah, which is, I, I mean, and it's, uh, it's a very good thing to have. Um, my, my thought there to develop that point is that, uh, first of all, I really like this idea of better awareness. And that's, that's very important. And the process of planning helps you create some solidity when there's chaos. So when Mike Tyson did get punched in the face, his reaction was based on some form of plan that, uh, okay, I'm going to get punched in the face sometimes, but I still need to then uh, work on these three or four manoeuvres in order to, to get out of it. So um, you've got to realise that the plan is going to be knocked off course. It's then how you get back onto the course and the awareness on it. Goose? <clears throat> I'm sure that Mike Tyson was very aware of his own strengths as well. So he knew that he would man- man- manipulate an opponent so that actually he could hit his, you know, his big winding right hand to stick him on the floor. So he was obvious. He he knew his own strengths and weaknesses as a fighter. So that actually, when he got in the ring, he could manipulate the, the boxer in front of him, kind of bully him into positions whereby he could put his kind of his big punch in. And I believe, you know, that that actually, you know, one of the questions I asked the boys um, at, at credited and was, you know, in a session, I said, "Do you know what your strengths are?" Because you know, if if we could have 15, you know, if you could have a squad of players who are all aware of their strengths and all could all play to their strengths on the field, then actually you'd have one hell of a team because, you you know, if, if I'm aware of the, I've got a huge, you know, somebody with great footwork outside of me and I'm a really good distributor of the ball, you put those two things together and you've got a combination to break anything apart, haven't you? So it the, the thing for me is that, you know, the ultimate game plan would be that I could have 15, you know, 25, whatever my players got in the squad, who are all aware of their strengths, um, who are all aware of how they could, their strengths could be kind of dovetailed in together um, to beat any team in front of them. You know, that, and I wouldn't have to say, um, you know, you've got three phases to exit your, you know, the, the 22, or you haven't got X, because actually what we'd have we'd have players in, in, the, in the perfect rugby world who could look up. Well, may, maybe you, you, you're talking about the North v South game last weekend. You know, that, I think for me that was, you know, <laughs> that's pretty, pretty, pretty epic stuff. But, you know, that's, that is about, you know, do those players go into that game with the game plan? Yes, they do. But their game plan is based around really what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are, uh, and how they play to those strengths. Because, you know, especially at grassroots after, I suppose, touch wood after Christmas. Now we're going to be playing some rugby, hopefully. You know, you can't say, you know, I have no analysis of any side that's going to come down the credits and play. So what we've got to do is we've got to play to our strengths. Um, and we play to our strengths. And we play the way that, that we can play. And actually then we've got to, what we have to encourage is there is an adaptation from that. You know, if this happens, then, you know, then these are our options. So, um it's very difficult but i think we I, in terms of the game plan for me it's about how we play to our strengths so just picking up on that thought of uh, working on better awareness working on better skills well i just want to come back to you then because uh, you sort of started talking about uh, i'm going to help these players be more aware um if you had to uh, break down your sessions into time you spend on the game plan and time you spend on skills work, does that change through the ages? Are you spending more time with your SIDCUP team on the game plan than, say, working with a schools team? Yeah, no, no question. The, the, the capacity of individuals, you have to take into account the capacity and ability of individuals with the playing experience. Um, and and 
what they can and can't achieve. So for the, for the younger players, skill acquisition, technique acquisition, that then builds into a game-based skill. Senior players, very much about the, the, the more awareness of the um, technical and te- uh, tactical elements of the game. Uh, but though I, I sense the danger is that uh, sometimes with senior players, you spend, not you, but uh, people spend too much time on the game plan and they forget they've still got to work on their catch pass and their tackle and they've still got to go back to basics. Right, I'm aware that we have nearly up uh, in terms of our uh, concentration time. And uh, so what I'd like to ask is the sort of final question. Um, do you swear in training? And what's your attitude to bad language? Now, I'm, I, when I say swear in training, I'm assuming if you're with kids, you don't. But you may tell me otherwise. Uh, Ian, uh, do you swear in training? And what's your attitude to bad language in training? So, so the answer is no, I don't swear in training. Um, uh, but I'm a human being, so I would be lying if I said I essentially uh, lose a little bit of control sometimes on, on occasion, depending on uh, the mood of the, that I'm in or the players or, or whatever it might be or what I'm seeing in front of me uh, with human beings. But we need to set standards as coaches, certainly with, with children. Um, and uh, and that and that basically should be that that we don't use bad language. I'm I'm not a fool to know that as children get older and they start going to secondary school, they're not using bad language and swearing themselves. Um, so 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 you do you do tend tend to see it creeping in maybe at under 16, 17 solid level. Um, so the, the it's interesting thing about how how would you deal with that? Because um, again, it comes back to that relationship thing. You don't want to be seen to be. You, you're trying to build the relationships with the players as well, so it's it gets a little bit trickier as that as they get older. But generally, the answer is uh, no, and I don't think we should. Welcome. Yeah, I, I, I was going to echo exactly what Ian's saying. Um, literally two weeks ago, I had the, I had some under sixteens, and at the end, I had to bring a couple of guys to one side and say, "Look, love your input, love what you're doing." please just for 90 minutes of, of the same words you know there are, there are younger kids present there are parents present just just don't do it if you do it before the session after session that's your business but for 90 minutes of the day today or next week just please just don't do it and i'm delighted to say they they, they responded to that well and i haven't done it but but to me exactly what ian said i'm going back to standards you, you as a coach you've got standards you hope the players have standards and, and I would love for kids playing the sport to be able to play the sport without having to express the, their, themselves in that way. Goose, because you, uh, you work in schools as well um, and with various different challenges there. Um, you, you come with a, maybe a different angle or the same angle? Um, it's context, Dan. Um, in, in schools, um, when I'm working with particularly challenging children um, or young adults, uh, sometimes the swearing is, is, is the swearing is is not the biggest battle to win on that day. Um, I wouldn't accept it, and I'd pull people up on it if I'm in that environment. Um, and I would say, look, you don't really need to be saying that. But actually, I'm not going to go all out and, and, and lose my marbles over it because I know that actually um, for the rest of the day, I, I, you know, I, I'm going to lose my working relationship with that particular, particular student. Um, then when I, it makes me very mindful actually that when I go to junior settings that, you know, I, I you know, again, you don't swear, you don't need to swear. Um, and I do think it's, it's, it doesn't, it's not helped by, by adult rugby um because and you know i'm not gonna i'm not gonna talk about the ramble game um but it's it's it's, it's not helped um because you know we see it we see it on the on the rugby and the commentators going oh, I, you know i apologize for that for swearing you know you shouldn't have to apologize because I, I you know it's, it's a little bit of a bugbear of mine it's one of those things that shouldn't happen really it doesn't need to happen um i do pull up my senior players for it um i kind of shocked one of our 
uh, one of our more able players, I should say, you know, early doors by saying you don't need to, you don't need to say. I just said, oh, language, and I pulled him up on it, and he looked at me a bit funny, and I said, you know, you don't really need to do it. But again, it's all in context, isn't it? Because when you're, when when you have when the emotions flying and, and the adrenaline's going through the the body, you're you're actually not really thinking about what you're saying. You're just expressing an emotion and a feeling. So I think there are times when you have to not allow it, but you you, you kind of got to let it go. Um, and if I'm you know with senior players, sometimes I will swear. You know I'm going to put my hands up and say. But nine times out of ten, I'll go. Oh God, you know I, I apologize for it because I know it. There, there isn't a place for it. But like I say, I'm a human being. Um, yeah, so it's difficult. I mean, with Crediton, you know, there are there there are fantastic. I'm really I'm going to up them now, big style. Um, they're a fantastic community club. You know, um, they have lots of junior players who go up and watch the senior players on on a Saturday. And there's lots of dads who still play and coach and. I think it's really important that from from our point of view as a senior section that that we are the flag bearers in terms of the behaviour of the club. You know, we are, we are the people who who lead uh, and who are the kind of the role models for that kind of next generation coming through. I know this sounds a bit cliche, but you know, I, I really believe that, and I think behave the way they behave on you know on the Saturday afternoon and the way they behave in the club after the game uh, impacts massively on what happens in the club on Sunday. And, you know, some of these first team players don't realise that actually the club is bigger on a Sunday than it is on a Saturday. And the impact then is therefore is is multiplied. So, you know, for, for me, you know, I've rambled on to behaviour now, but the behaviour, the behaviour of the player is crucial, absolutely crucial because, it, you know, my mum used to say to me, manners maketh the man, you know, it's, you know, that, that, it's something that sticks with me. So, Ian, I know you've talked about this uh, previously in terms of standards that you set. Can you just ex- uh, explain a little bit more about that in terms of swearing? Yeah, so there's a, an expression that says the standard you walk past is the standard you accept. So if if you don't do anything about it, it becomes acceptable, basically. Um, and so I think that you, it's the nip in the nip it in the bud as, as soon as possible, because people need to know. I mean, I, I've been in games where the referee before the game starts has called all the players together and say, "I just have one main rule that if anyone swears, they're going to go off for ten minutes or whatever, five minutes or whatever it might be." So that is the standard. Everybody knows what the rules are. You could do that the same for a start of a coaching session. Um, you know, you just go with the guys. This is this is the standard. This is what's acceptable, unacceptable. Um, so, so, so some ideas like that maybe. Yeah, great. Now uh, we've covered a whole range of subjects. I think everyone's managed to uh, jump in with some uh, some of their own thoughts, and um, I think we're all very excited about getting back into more training, but. Uh, the other thing I'm sensing is that uh, a lot of good things have happened before each stage, and uh, that's that's very important. So just to, just to finish off with, um, just one very brief thought from each of you. Um, in the early stages of coming back to training, what's the one thing you think, yeah, I'm going to keep hold of that because I didn't expect that to happen? Okay, let's go go to Wilco first. Paul knew it was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. So um, <laughs> they are they are big. They are the new the new uh, the new headband. What uh, are you gonna you're gonna keep them? Is what you're saying? Yeah, no question. No question. We 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 had we would have a maximum of six players. Typically five. 3v2 there won't be what 3v2 or even 4v1 you, you you give that one defender a pull noodle and pan they can cover a great deal of ground yeah. yeah and that way you're able to make some really good decisions have a really strong defense that's very well coordinated um that works in in great unison that's very wide that forces those four players to work very hard to get around it um there is absolutely no question Paul Noodles will be staying within my uh, coaching portfolio for those types of games. <laughs> right. We love that, Wilco. 
Uh, Ian. So uh, it was. I was noticing uh, a group. So a group of six in their little working bubble, um, playing a game of rugby tennis. They've been. They hadn't been with each other for months. They just started to come back. Uh, let them get on with a game of rugby tennis, and they stopped playing rugby tennis, and they just started to chat with each other. And I just thought, actually, how much time do we give our players just to stand within a session and just communicate with each other and be mates? Because you know, we spend too much time looking at our sessions, working on what we've got to do, all the ground we've got to cover, and forget that sometimes they just want to be there because they just want to be with their mates. And it was really nice uh, just to, to let them talk for two, three minutes. They don't necessarily, oh, no, what are you doing? You should be playing rugby tennis. It's like, no, no, just leave them be. And so that was really, it was a really good observation. It was nice to see them. Yeah, lovely. I, I like I like that idea. Giving them a little bit of the space for themselves is uh, it's yeah. quite a brave thing to do from a coach's point of view. Mm. Goose. Player registration. Um, with with COVID and, and the players have to uh, put their names down and commit to a session. For us, it, I, I think it's been brilliant because it means that the players are actually booking in sessions. For me as a coach, I think it's been a bit of a revelation because actually I can sit down I get the list on the night before of the players and, and I can design the session around the players, you know, so it's, so I know what I'm going to get. I know which sorts of players and actually it means I can really target, you know, skills and interventions with certain players. So, you know, I, it's, it's been brilliant. That has, so I'm, I'm, I'm definitely going to hold on to that. Great. And I'm, I'm delighted that you've come up with all those three things because, uh, uh, all three of you uh, energize uh, the coaching world, energize your players, and um, it's just—it's been fantastic. You sharing your thoughts with us uh, on the podcast, but also the fact that um, there's a lot of energy out there to go out and help people enjoy enjoy their rugby or enjoy their sport. It doesn't necessarily need to be to be rugby; it could uh, could be any sport. So, thank you very much, guys, for your time tonight. Uh, on the podcast uh, if you want to find out a little bit more about uh, the podcast um, and more podcasts go over to rugbycoachweekly.net and click on the podcast button uh, but in the meantime I'd like to say thank you very much to Ian no problem Dan always a pleasure uh, and to you Goose always a pleasure thank you very much mate and finally, to uh, the Scarlet Pimpernel, uh, who is Wilco. Uh, uh, if you knew how long, how long it's taken for me to get him actually on a podcast. In fact, it took two other people to make sure he was here. Uh, the, the, list, the list of excuses um, is well worth a book in itself. They're all genuine. Uh, anyway, Wilco, it's been a great pleasure to actually get you recorded on a microphone and a rugby coach weekly guys so thank you very much thank you dan it's been a, it's been a real pleasure and it's um it's great to be amongst some really great coaches able to share and um and work together like this thank you yeah brilliant thank you guys and uh, thanks everyone for listening thanks for listening to rugby coach weekly podcast if you want to hear more podcasts, head over to RugbyCoachWeekly.net and click on the Blogs tab to catch up on any episodes you've missed. We look forward to speaking to you again soon with more insights from coaches and experts from the world of rugby, sport, and learning.